It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Now to your decision, 2022 coverage. We'll begin with the race for retiring Senator Jim Inhofe's seat. 13 Republicans filing for it. And despite a strong showing by Congressman Mark Wayne Mullen, it looks like he will be going to run off with T.W. Shannon, the U.S. representative, getting 44% of the vote compared to the Chickasaw banker and former House Speaker T.W. Shannon, who received 18%. State Senator Nathan Dom and Senator Inhofe's former chief of staff, Lou Collin, coming up short with 12% and 11% respective. Senator Inhofe will leave office in January, and now the winner of the runoff between Mullen and Shannon will face off against Democrat Kendra Horn and Independent Ray Woods. In District 2 is up for grabs, a huge field of candidates, 14 Republicans on that ballot. Here's a look at the results. Avery Fricks with 15% of the vote, Josh Burkeen, 14%, Johnny Teehee coming in with 13 Just a little separation between these candidates, but in the end, 100% of the precincts reporting here. Fricks and Burkeen will be running off, uh, in a runoff August 23rd. They're going to be vying for their party nomination. The winner will then move on to the November election. All right, Sandy Rios with you. That is tomorrow. August the 23rd is actually tomorrow. And so uh, today we're going to talk about the uh, primaries that are taking place tomorrow in Oklahoma and in Florida because we want you to go into these as equipped as you possibly can be. Let me just remind you uh, that iVoterGuide.com, iVoterGuide.com is a great resource for researching who's supporting the candidates, where they stand on the issues. And so just remember that iVoterGuide.com. Well, joining us to discuss the great state of Oklahoma is Dr. Everett Piper. Dr. Piper, of course, is the former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan. He's the best-selling author of the book, Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth, and a whole lot more. He's actually a candidate himself uh, for Osage County Commission District 1. Aren't you a candidate, Dr. Piper? Yeah, I, uh, I'm running for the county commissioner for Osage County District 1 here in Osage County, Oklahoma. When I retired from Oklahoma Wesleyan University, I decided to prove I wasn't very smart. I went and bought horses, and I was, uh, <laughs> I was minding my own business, playing with my horses one day, and I started getting phone calls from folks saying, why don't you get off your duff and get out of retirement and help us fix some things in the county? So I've agreed to, to do that. So I'm standing for election in this runoff also on August 23rd. So you've already had one, one uh, you've gone against the incumbent once in one other earlier vote, right? And you came out ahead. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Correct. Yes. Uh, there were four candidates in the Republican primary for county commissioner, and I took 46%. The incumbent took 38%, and the other two guys split the remaining uh, 16%. So they're out, and now it's a uh, runoff between the incumbent and me on August 23rd. So I encourage okay. everybody that's listening that might be in that area, go vote on August 23rd. It's important. <laughs> all right, all right. Yes, absolutely. Well, all right. So uh, tomorrow, again, of course, you heard in that report from Oklahoma Media 
that there are other races. The Senate race is interesting because uh, Jim Himhoff has resigned, you know, after he's 80, whatever, he's decided he's had enough in, in uh, the Senate. And so there is this race, and it's coming down in the Repo- on the Republican side to Mark Wayne Mullen and T.W. Shannon. That's a tough choice for conservatives, isn't it? It is. Uh, I, n- neither one of them are terrible, but I'm not sure either one of them are anti-swamp conservative Republicans. Um, they're not going to be anti-religious freedom or anti-Second Amendment or anti-free speech. So in that sense, I think you have two decent choices. But um, in terms of really taking a stand against the establishment and saying, no, here we stand, we will go no further, I'm not too sure with either one of them. So I'm a little bit ambivalent and indifferent between the two, Mark Wayne Mullen or T.W. You know, um, I think one of the one of the bad things about Mark Wayne Mullen is that he actually hugged the guy that shot Ashley Babbitt in a hearing. He hugged him and told him he did what was right uh, on the J6 uh, situation, and that was pretty uh, offensive to many people that I know. That's the one thing I know about him. But um, so that those are the choices that uh, conservatives have tomorrow in the Senate. Um, uh, in the second district, uh, the they already described in that report Josh Brakeen running against um, Avery F- uh, Fricks. No, that's the second district. What are your thoughts about that race? Absolutely no question on that one. Josh Brakeen is the guy. Josh Brakeen is um, the mentee of Tom Coburn. He has the DNA of Senator Coburn. So if you want another Tom Coburn to be representing Oklahoma, you vote for Josh McKean. He's a true conservative. He's a biblical Christian. He's fearless. He's a constitutionalist. I've endorsed Josh McKean, and the reason I did that without question is I trust this man. He is the real deal. So vote for Josh McKean. He is the true conservative in terms of the second district for Oklahoma, uh, the congressional race for Oklahoma. Let me just tell listeners, if you... Want to know more about Josh? I interviewed him a couple of days ago, ago, last week, and you can get that on our podcast and listen to what he has to say and just see what you think about Josh. Uh, we had a lot of uh, strong connections because Senator Coben was a good friend of mine. So, and I think Josh did express Dr. Piper. He, you know, he has gotten the gene rewrite of Dr. Coburn on overspending. Uh, and the the need to rein things in in Washington. So we had an interesting discussion. So that's Josh Burkeen in District 2. Is there any other race that you want to bring to our attention? Because because we need your help. Absolutely. Everybody in Oklahoma needs to pay particular attention to the superintendent of public instruction. That's the head education job in Oklahoma. And Ryan Walters is running against April Grace in the primary. You, you must vote for Ryan Walters. He is the only choice if you want to get education right in Oklahoma. And I've argued as on your show and elsewhere, Sandy, that if, if we don't get our educational house in order, our culture is lost, our nation is lost. The reason we're suffering all of these maladies in our culture right now is terrible ideas are coming out of our public schools. Ryan Walters has taken on the LGBTQIA, SJWBLM, SEL cabal. He's taken it all on. And he stood against all of that, and he's done it boldly and unapologetically. I'm supporting Ryan Walters for superintendent of public instruction here in Oklahoma. All right. So it sounds like you have there are two, well, that we know that I'm that I know of two really stellar candidates in important races running, and that's Ryan Walters uh, in Oklahoma for Oklahoma superintendent of public instruction and um, 
uh, Josh Burkine in District 2. And the others are important. You need to vote because, you know, you need to just make the best choice that you can on the other races. Is there any other race that we're missing that you want to comment on before we talk? I want to talk about Oklahoma in general. Um, there- I think that basically sums up the big races that people need to attend to. You have other local races such as county commissioners and, and whatnot. And those are not minor issues. I think you have to get your local house in order uh, before you start worrying about the quote-unquote higher races, because we learned during COVID that if you've got good conservatives that are uh, uh, that you've elected to your local positions, such as mayor and county commissioner and whatnot, you're going to enjoy more freedom rather than less. So local office is, is very critical, and we need to start paying more attention to that. You know, I, my favorite example that I've mentioned over and over and over again is Goochland County in Virginia. Uh, I had the privilege of, they, they've become very good friends of mine because uh, because I've been there to speak for them so many times. They have an incredible story, Dr. Piper. They were uh, kind of failing as a county, and conservatives in that area decided to take their county back. They took over the school board. They took over county commissions. They took They ran. They organized. And Goochland County became an absolutely beautiful, prosperous county uh, just outside of Richmond, Virginia. And in, adi- in addition to that, they were the ones that behind the scenes, while no one was looking, got Dave Bratt elected uh, along with uh, Henrico County uh, in, in that area of Virginia, who became you know, a champion in Congress. So um, I'm just, he, uh, Dr. Piper is right. If you really want to make a difference, do, start local. Take over, take, take over with good people. Uh, where you live, and you can transform in larger ways because it will bubble up, and and you'll be able to send people to the national offices that will be really good and have accountability to all of you. You know, you mentioned to me about uh, Oklahoma. I'm really familiar with Oklahoma, Dr. Piper. My parents were both from Oklahoma. My grandparents actually uh, went there and helped settle the territory. They went on a covered wagon year, you know, a few years ago. Uh, so when it was still a territory, and um, and I actually went to college in uh, Oklahoma. But uh, and Oklahoma is notoriously red. That's what we think, right? Oklahoma is very, very red. But you are giving kind of a warning about that. Tell me what your thoughts are. Well, I kind of think Oklahoma is the canary in the cave or the canary in the mine. Um, we all look at Oklahoma as being the most conservative of the conservative states. Not one county has voted blue in the last five successful, excuse me, successive presidential elections. Well, it's very conservative, right? Well, not so much. We've got the most liberal marijuana laws in the entire nation. Um, our Joy Hoffmeister has been in charge of education in Oklahoma, and she's a radical leftist Democrat. We have a slippage that's taking place in Oklahoma where we're not nearly as conservative as we pretend to be. And if the air is poison here in the cave, then everybody's going to die. So if Oklahoma can't get our act together and be truly conservative with conservative government, conservative policies, having a biblical ethic as the underpinning to what we do, uh, honoring the Constitution and respecting individual rights and personal liberty, then I would argue that if Oklahoma goes to the left, then that's a harbinger of things to come across the country. So back to my point about local elections and local control. George Washington's one of his favorite verses anyway, he cited it over 50 times to his fellow founding fathers, was Micah 4.4. Every man shall sit under his own vine and his own fig tree and shall not be afraid. He was emphasizing it's your vine, it's your fig tree, it's your ranch, it's your farm, it's your home, they're your children, it's your church, it's your school. Take responsibility for your stuff 
and you shall not be afraid. And I really think we need to remember that as we're going to the polls next Tuesday. You know, one observation I would like to make, you know, uh, because of my own experience in Oklahoma and years following it, uh, it's uh, it's a rich, uh, it has been, a place where people were, by and large, Christians of various stripes, mostly Southern Baptists, but various stripes, certainly Wesleyan, because you were president of Oklahoma Wesleyan, so lots of Wesleyans. But uh, I, I sense, and it's not just a sense, it's actually happened, that at least in the Southern Baptist denomination, there has been an equivocation on the moral issues. There was a time, you know, when the Southern Baptist Convention was uh, arguably the major force between conser- uh, uh, in conservative politics and meaning on, on homosexuality and, and marriage and all of it. They were a powerhouse, uh, but that's, that has been neutralized by people like Russell Moore and others and I think it's filtering down in the churches, and I think I would put that, I would put a lot of this uh, squarely on the shoulders of pastors who have not been preaching maybe the way they should. I, and as a Christian, Everett, what, what, do you, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, I would argue there are three entities that are responsible for passing on the ideas that matter to their progeny, um, parents, teachers, and preachers. And you could argue that in our culture today, all three of those entities are letting down their guard. Preachers are failing to preach the Bible as the inerrant, infallible, authoritative Word of God. They're watering down their sermons to be culturally um, acceptable rather than biblically founded. And that's not pervasive. I'm not saying that every preacher does that, but so many do that we that the pulpit has lost its authority. It's lost its moral high ground. Teachers. Teachers have bought into CRT and they've bought into everything that's BLM and SJW, you know, the whole alphabet soup. Teachers have bought the lie. And parents need to stop being helicopter parents and stop giving participation trophies and actually teach their kids uh, what's right and wrong. Stop being their best friend and be yeah. their mom and be their dad. It sounds like you need to write a book. Maybe you could call it Not a, Day, not a Daycare. <laughs> the devastating consequences <laughs> of abandoning uh, a truth. And uh, you can see everything that he writes, Dr. Piper, at deverettpiper.com, deverettpiper.com. He's a great writer, as you can see, and a great thinker, and we will talk to you again. By the way, best of luck on your race tomorrow for Osage County Commission District 1. We wish you the best. Dr. Piper, we'll talk to you again soon. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. That uh, Oklahoma is not the only place that has a primary tomorrow. Florida also does, and of course, Florida is such a huge state. It's very difficult for me to cover, you know, all of the races that um, that need to be covered in Florida. But I'm going to highlight some of them and tell you kind of what's going on. Uh, there, you know, the, the governor's race is uh, in play, and in, on the Democratic side, you have the former governor of Florida, Charlie Crist. Uh, running against on the Democratic side, Nikki Freed, and the big news as of uh, just recently is that Nikki Freed has moved ahead of Charlie Crist, so that's big news. Charlie Crist has uh, changed parties. He used to be a Republican, but of course he was not a Republican, but he played one on television. He's, he's a guy with a big tan and, and very very striking guy. Uh, so, um, but not conservative by any manner, and that's why he became a Democrat. And I'm glad he did. So there, whoever wins in the, on the Democratic side will run against Ron DeSantis. So how's Ron DeSantis doing? Well, he is uh, still leading. Uh, in a head-to-head matchup, he would beat either of them, whether it's a, a, a Freed 
or Christ, he would be the winner. Pollsters found that DeSantis had a 50 to 43% lead over Freed and a 50 to 42% lead over Christ. And so, um, and the poll, and I'm reading this in Politico, the poll that they're citing uh, said it was nearly evenly broken by party affiliation. 36% of Republicans were answering as opposed to 35% who were Democrats. And so what that means is if there's a red wave, then DeSantis, his lead will likely be even larger. Now, uh, other findings in this particular poll, I should read what that poll is. A public opinion research lab at the University of North Florida. That's the poll. Okay. Uh, President Joe Biden's approval rating remains seriously underwater in Florida. Only 38% approve of the job that he's doing. And both Senator Marco Rubio and Rick Scott also have low job approval ratings of just 37%. That's interesting, isn't it? I think uh, Marco Rubio has been a disappointment. You know, I, I have to tell you, I met Marco when he was first running for Senate uh, in person and was so impressed and then became just a huge champion of his. I, I felt that Marco had the personality and the insight and the policies that he would, he would actually make and eventually make a great president. And that's, that was my position on it. Uh, but as he got in office, he did, he did what, I don't know, everybody seems to do. They change. And uh, so um, I'm disappointed in him, uh, but I, I would choose him over Val Demings, uh, who is a radical leftist and wants to, you know, defund the police. So, uh, but that's, Val Demings is leading Rubio 48% to 44%. So that's, that's a serious problem in Florida for conservatives, for sure. Um, so, uh, okay, I want to read, just uh, just give you a headline. You know, there are a lot of really fine uh, Congress people in Florida, and some of them you will recognize. Michael Waltz, former Green Beret, is, of course, they're all up for re-election. They have to run every two years. Uh, he is in Florida 6. I love Michael Waltz. I mean, he is just steady as she goes and just a real straight shooter and has been a guest of ours a couple of times and will be again. And that's not why I like him. I, I ask him because I do have great respect for his views on the war, on what's happening internationally, and also on domestic issues. And then there's Brian Mast, who he's that wounded veteran who lost his legs and, um, uh, in the Middle East when he was serving. He's also a champion, and he's running, again, in Florida's 18th district. And then there's someone that you've all heard of, that's Mike, Matt, Get, Matt Gates. Matt, of course, is a champion. I mean, he's, there's just no one like Matt when it comes to Oh, even including Jim Jordan and the others that are so articulate, Matt just is, uh, you know, has that extra grade above most everyone else trying to make things clear and seeing the the uh, arguments very clearly, Matt Gates. So he's running again. And then there's Brian Donalds, uh, who's in District 19, who's just a wonderful champion. Some people are saying that if DeSantis should, by chance, uh, move into running to run for president, that Byron Donalds would be a great candidate for governor of Florida. If you're conservative, you would feel that way. So um, just mentioning that. And then oh, there's an interesting race. Uh, I've uh, interviewed Laura Loomer. She's challenging Daniel Webster uh, in uh, in Florida, who's the current, the incumbent. And Laura is, um, is a real uh, firebrand conservative and has nationally been known because of her activism on issues, her defense of Donald Trump, her uh, going after Hillary Clinton with a vengeance. She worked with Project Veritas. She's got courage beyond measure. 
Uh, and so she is challenging Daniel Webster, who has the seventh lowest attendance record in Congress. Uh, you know, Daniel Webster, um, I didn't realize this until recently, Daniel Webster was a champion in the Terry Schiavo uh, case. Uh, she was the girl who, whose husband wanted her to be taken off life support because she'd been uh, injured and had brain injury and was not able to function. Her parents wanted her to stay alive. They said they would take care of her. And it went to court, and, um, and the parents lost. And they took her off the feeding tube. It was a terribly dramatic situation. Uh, Jeb Bush was governor at the time. And uh, Daniel Webster was in the Florida House at the time. I think he was the Speaker of the House. And he led the charge to help save Terry Schiavo. Now, the problem is this. That was 1994. I think that's the year, 19, that, that era of time. And honestly, since that time, that's, I personally, being in Washington, have not seen Daniel Webster do hardly anything since. Oh, I'm sure he's done some things. He signs onto bills that are good, uh, but his absences make him very ineffective. Um, he's, he's absent so much. He was absent at the second impeachment vote for Donald Trump. He was absent at the vote that uh, decided to form that January 6th committee. Um, he's absent. He's just absent. And I, I, I think, um, you know, and, uh, many, and he also Daniel Webster is a Christian. He's supported by many Christians in his district. Laura Loomer's Jewish. Uh, she's not a Sunday school girl. Her language would not pass. I'm not all the time, but there, you know, she's not a girl who was raised in Sunday school. She's not. She doesn't have the affects of Christianity because she's not a Christian. And uh, but uh, many people are supporting Laura uh, because she is such a fighter, and Daniel Webster is so absent. You ask the question. You know, um, personally, I, I think I think of it this way: If I were going to have a surgery, a heart surgery, and my life was in jeopardy. And I were to choose the surgeon. Well, let's let me ask you: If you were having heart surgery, and your life was in danger, and you wanted to choose the right surgeon, would you choose someone who said they were a Christian, who hadn't really done a surgery in twenty years, and maybe even as you look at it, was absent in the classes uh, that were relevant to your heart problem, but they were Christian? And they did something really good uh, about 20 years ago. Or would you choose someone who is not a Christian, uh, not is not a, you know you know uh, wouldn't wouldn't fit in Sunday school, wouldn't uh, wouldn't comport, is a little coloring outside the lines, but is a fighter on, on for religious liberty, for uh, Christian principles, uh, for um, you know the border wall, for you know not spending as much money for the, the guys incarcerated in the jail in, in, in D.C. Daniel Webster is totally silent about that. He doesn't care about that. Trust me, I know. Uh, but okay, so if you are you know looking for a surgeon, which would you choose? And I maintain that when you choose a surgeon, you're not looking at their affiliation in church. If you could find a Christian of like mind with you, who had all the qualifications, then I would probably choose the Christian. I bet you would too, because you'd have a different view of the world uh, that might affect. But if it's you're talking about a competence skill that a person needs to do that surgery on you, we're talking about a competence and a passion skill a skill uh, that we need to save this country. And I, I think uh, this is when you have to just, just as though President Trump is not his tweets are mean. His language is rough. But don't look at what a man does, says. Look at what he does. Look at what they do. Look at the courage they show. 
how they fight. You know, talk is cheap. We can all say we're Christians. In fact, it's pretty popular to say that. Uh, but it isn't always true. It, it, the true proof is in what you actually do. It's like James, you know, show me your, uh, show me your faith. Well, show me your faith by your works. And I think that's actually true. So uh, there are some really important races in Florida. If you want to know where people stand on the issue, go to um, iVoter, iVoterGuide.com, iVoterGuide.com. And um, you can find out where they stand on the issues because that's very important. But actually, what they do on the issues is more important than what they say. So look to see who's supporting them, who's behind them, who's giving them money. And that will tell you something about who they really are. Okay, so I hope that helps. Uh, Don't forget that the primary is tomorrow in Oklahoma and in Florida. Coming up next is an interview I did with Jeffrey Lord, who was one of uh, President Trump's associates. It's a fascinating interview that I did at CPAC, and I think you'll enjoy it. So stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. For too long, a small group in our nation's capital has reaped the rewards of government while the people have borne the cost. Washington flourished. But the people did not share in its wealth. Politicians prospered, but the jobs left and the factories closed. The establishment protected itself, but not the citizens of our country. Their victories have not been your victories. Their triumphs have not been your triumphs. And while they celebrated, in our nation's capital, there was little to celebrate for struggling families all across our land. That all changes starting right here and right now, because this moment is your moment. It belongs to you. All right, that was President Donald Trump. That was his first speech as president of the United States. So that's the very first speech that he made after he was elected. And uh, we were there in the audience. Were you there, Jeffrey Lord? Yes, I was indeed. Yeah. So that was quite a day, wasn't it? Yes. It was pretty amazing. Yes, it was. Uh, You know, having been, I was on CNN at that point and taking a break, I, I was walking through the crowd and man, people were just, you know, they recognized me because of TV and they were just exuberant. They just loved it. And then the next day <laughs> was the so-called Women's March. And I'm, I thought, well, I'll go out and take a look. And I'm walking down Constitution Avenue, and people are yelling at me <laughs> and saying and doing other things and uh, that were not, not uh, particularly nice. And I thought, well, there's a contrast. <laughs> you know, we had, of course, we had the same experience. We, we, and already, you know, with the inaug- it had started, though, with the inaugural parties. Remember all the, the attacks on... Trump supporters who were going to these inaugural balls and all that? I do. It was just, it was unbelievable. I, I think we knew that they were upset that he had won, but I don't think we... Did you have any di- idea what was coming? Well, my first glimmer of this was election night when uh, it became apparent that he had, in fact, won. And all these people 
in New York swarmed out in front of Trump Tower. And they were really angry and protesting and all of this kind of thing. And I thought, wow, this is just election night. What what happens as we yeah. get further down the road here? And we now know the answer to that. Yeah, I mean, remember that Women's March? We just It's good to recall these things. That the Women's March, and they shouted the most, well, not only the obscenities, but the threats to the White House right yes. up front. Right. Uh, Madonna with, you know, something about killing or blowing up the White House. Right. Yeah, it, it was just, it was stunning. And then they were off to the races, and they haven't stopped. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So let me introduce you properly. <laughs> this is the voice of Jeffrey Lord. He's a former Reagan White House political director. He's a columnist, contributing editor for the American Spectator. Uh, he, you've seen his stuff in the Wall Street Journal, the Los Angeles Times, Weekly Standard, National Review, all this, with long, long list. And he's been all over television and with CNN for a number of years, right? Right, until you, they dispatched me. <laughs> were, were you there when Sam, was, is Sam Feist still there? Uh, he was when I was there, yeah. yeah Sam, Great guy. I used to be, when I was on television a lot, before I went to work for Fox as a contributor, uh-huh. I was on CNN probably more than any other network, and Sam was the... Uh, Ah, yes. political director, whatever he was at the time, but he became a good friend, and uh, you know, CNN actually did have balance. I actually hosted Crossfire three different times wow. with Paul Begala. Yeah, so uh, so my how things have changed. You had a bad ending there, didn't you? Yeah, I di- I did. Uh, I went after somebody uh, who was going after me, and the guy had uh, a number of serious posts that were just clearly anti-Semitic. Uh, and there's no excuse for that, frankly. So I mocked him, and CNN didn't like the mockery, and uh, out I went. Um, you know, at that point, and I, I still like all of these people, but it was being run by people who were extremely far left. Yeah. And uh, they took a lot of heat for me to, because of me, because I was there. All kinds of people wanted me fired and all this kind of thing, and eventually it just became too much, and out I went. Just so it reminds me, so the, the left's response to truth, even however presented humorously or well, however, whatever, however it's packaged, is like <laughs> Dracula with the cross. Remember those old right. movies when we were kids? Yes. <laughs> Dracula, and they'd hold up the cross, and he'd, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that's, the way they, that's the way they respond. But the problem is they have the power now to actually hurt you. Right. Yeah. That's right. Well, so now uh, I am a contributor to Newsmax. Oh, cool. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'm in the right place. Newsmax is the new Fox. Yeah, yeah. They really are. A lot of Fox personalities have gone over there. Yes. And uh, that's really the only place to get real news now, I think. Now, except there are, of course, Tucker at uh, Fox and... Sean and Laura. Maria Bartiroma on Sunday mornings Maria, is really yeah. good. Yep. Yeah, so uh, we're thankful for them and... We'll keep watching and supporting them, but wherever wherever conservatives may be, they need to be (laughs) exactly, exactly, yeah. So, um, but did you not work for the Trump administration, or did you advise? No, no, I just was uh, doing my writing self uh, stuff and uh, TV and all of that kind of thing. So I was never in the administration. So, are you a New Yorker? Uh, No, my parents were, and my extended family entirely is out there on Eastern Long Island, but. my dad was in the hotel business, so when I was coming along, they moved to Massachusetts, which of course made me a lifelong Red Sox fan, to my father's <laughs> chagrin. <laughs> and uh, then uh, we moved to Pennsylvania, and uh, they stayed in Pennsylvania. And uh, you know, I went, once I graduated from high school and college, I went off to uh, Washington and uh, worked DC. there for good. You yeah, mean DC, right, yeah. right, and worked for a congressman, senator, president. 
cabinet secretary and out. Uh, and were they all Republicans? Or were you conservative? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was Congressman Bud Schuster from okay. Pennsylvania. It okay. uh, was quite a conservative. Senator John Hines, who was more of a moderate, but, but conservative on some things, as he made a point of telling me. <laughs> he, he voted for Robert Bork, you know. And, uh, oh, say you. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, President Reagan. And uh, then in the Bush 41 years, I worked at HUD for Secretary Jack Kemp. Oh, sure. And then, okay. and then Sandy, as I always say, these people, what was their name? Uh, let me think. Oh, yeah, Clinton. <laughs> they came along, and you get this nice note from the incoming head of White House personnel that says, Dear Jeffrey. Thank you so much for your service. Be out by noon, January 20th. <laughs> well, you know what? Be, count your lucky stars, because look at what they did to some people that stayed, like the, the travel office. Yes. Remember Hillary went after Bill, uh, I forgot what their names were, but created it, was this. Was it Billy Dale? I, I, I'm just not sure, but it was he He and his wife ran the travel office. Yeah. And she created this huge scandal about them in order to get rid of them. To replace them with a travel agency from Arkansas that she wanted in the White House. Right. But she didn't just fire them. She ruined their lives. Right. It was terrible. So you're a lucky guy that you got yeah. out of it. Well, yeah. you know, that's the way the system is supposed to work is that when a president comes in, he gets to pick his people. And so, in fairness, the Reagan-Bush people, of which I was one, you know, it was time to go and bring in the Clinton people and they're responsible. <laughs> yeah. They're responsible, all right. Yeah, so, so Jeffrey, you don't seem like the kind of guy, I'm just saying, <laughs> given your past, maybe this is not fair, but that, that President Trump would appeal to you. Uh, well, I'll tell you what happened to me along the way. In 2004, I'd lived in Washington all the time, but my parents remained in Pennsylvania. And good old dad started to struggle with uh, Alzheimer's. And I'm an only child. So the right thing to do was move home, which I did. And uh, he passed in 2007. Mom was around until 2018. Um, she, she had dementia, which I must say, I, I dealt with that close up and personal. So every time I see Joe Biden, I raise an eyebrow. Yeah. Um, but uh, the good thing about coming home was that, you know, now I was out of the Washington bubble. And it was no longer, you know, my neighbors were no longer members of Congress and cabinet officials or bureaucrats or journalists. They were, you know, like a truck driver at the local giant and all this kind of thing. And, you know, I, I, I was a political director in the White House and, uh, you know, you got paid to listen to people. And I'm listening to people and they're talking about illegal immigration and they're not fond of Obamacare. And there's too many of these Washington types telling them what to do and all this kind of thing. And then, by coincidence, uh, somebody at the American Spectator had seen Donald Trump on with Matt Lauer. This is 2013. And Matt Lauer says, are you thinking of running for president in 2016? And Donald Trump says, yes, I am. Well, this guy, colleague at the Spectator, was not a Trump fan. So he writes a column, can't we just ignore Donald Trump? And... Uh, I soon thereafter get a, an email from somebody who worked for Donald Trump when we had a mutual friend, so he was able to get my email. And he says, Jeffrey, this is expletive. Uh, and I thought, well, what's this? You know, I hadn't seen the article at that point. So I read the article and I thought, well, I'll answer this because I admired Donald Trump. I read some of his books and uh, they were very useful to me and all this. So I wrote a column, Never Ignore Donald Trump. <laughs> 
and explained <laughs> why he'd be a good candidate. Had it, where was it published? It, uh, it was published in June of 2013 in the American Spectator. Okay. And uh, the next thing I know, the phone rings. Jeffrey, yes, <laughs> this is Donald Trump. <laughs> And I burst out laughing and I said, Donald, you didn't have to call. Uh, so we just hit it off. We chatted and chatted and chatted. By chance, and, and remember I'm a contributing editor at The Spectator, I don't run it, but we have a big glossy Washington dinner, black tie type thing, dinner every fall with some political celebrity. And they had chosen Donald Trump and Ted Cruz as a pair. <laughs> Oh and this is before they declared their candidacy. Yes, oh, yes. Okay, okay. Two years before. So, uh, again, the phone rings, and it's it's Donald Trump's office. and says, Mr. Trump would like you to fly down to Washington with him. Now, I'm in Harrisburg, a mere two hours from D.C., and I'd have to go. To, and I said, oh, that's I'll, 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 let me call you back. Let me think of that. By chance, one of my cousins, a, uh, a woman calls me to check on my mother and I said Beth you'll never believe this I just got a call from Donald Trump's office they want me to fly down with him she says well you're gonna do it aren't you <laughs> and she says I know what the problem is it's your mother she says I will come down there and take care of your mother oh, you go do this so I got up at four in the morning drove to DC parked <laughs> the car where the at the hotel the Marriott Hotel where the event was going to be that night took the train to New York walked in up there and before I, I went upstairs if you've ever been in the, if you've never been in the lobby of the Trump Tower, there's stores there. I think this is probably true of a lot of the skyscrapers, except of course in this case they're all connected to him. So I wandered around for a little bit since I had a few minutes, and I got to, uh, I realized there was a tie section that sold men's ties <laughs> that were Trump ties, and I thought, well, that's nice. But they weren't. They didn't say Trump, right? He just had beautiful ties, right? Well, no. Oh no, they had to they say did, Trump. They, that on the back. Uh, oh, oh, I so, see. So uh, I thought, well, that's interesting. And then I checked the price and I thought, yeah, Jeff, I don't think so. <laughs> so I go upstairs. They take me in. We meet. We talk. We're talking away. He says, uh, okay, let's go upstairs. I want to change my shirt. We go with this security guard up to the very top of Trump Tower. And while he goes, he's got the top three floors. He goes up one more to change his shirt. And he has his bodyguard taking me around and I always say it's just like your place and my place the floors are marble the ceilings have frescoes on them <laughs> and and the faucets in the bathroom are a in gold. fact solid gold <laughs> so he comes down and we go down and we come out in a back lobby different than the one I came in which clearly was meant for the use of the tenants and we're starting to head out to the limousine and he says oh wait Jeff Jeff come with me we go through a side door and we come out into the public library well my political brain goes off because suddenly everybody spots him and swarms him. You know, they wanted pictures, autographs, all this kind of thing. He takes me by the arm to the tie counter <laughs> and says, pick one. I said, oh, Donald, you know, he says, he says, pick one. This is the one that I picked. Oh, that is so cool. Oh, that is so cool. And then he no, says, pick another. I Pick another. I do. And then he turns to the girl behind the counter and says, okay, give him, uh, give him that one and give him that one. Oh, yeah, and give him one of those up there. One of those up there turned out to be men's cologne, success by Trump. <laughs> <laughs> so ever since, we've sort of hit it off. And, uh, you know, I've been to the White House and uh, a couple times, and uh, I think the world of him. That's really interesting. And, and, I, and the reason I reached out to you, when I saw you were going to be here, 
um, was that you, this is, this annoyed me to no end. Like, let me just tell you, I, I am really concerned about January 6th, that I'm concerned about the tribunal, the Soviet trial. Right. I'm concerned about those guys in the jail. A lot of their families listen to my show. I've had them on, on the show from the jail. Right. I mean, so uh, I am vested and uh, deeply concerned. So when they start describing January 6th the way they've been doing it and characterizing it drives me crazy. Yes. Uh, and so I think it might drive you crazy, too, and well, I want to give... I, I can tell you, I had a literal front row seat at the rally at the White House. And the president was a handful of yards from me on that platform. And I distinctly heard him say in person to go to the Capitol and protest peacefully and patriotically. And the people around me, I have some on video, were dancing to rock and roll music. There was not a thought that anybody was going to, you know, go up there to commit violence. I didn't go to the Capitol because I had to go back to my room. It was cold, too. And it was, oh my God, yes, it was freezing cold. And I'd been there for several hours. And uh, uh, I went, had to go back to my hotel room and do some television hits uh, for Newsmax and others. So I never went to the Capitol. Uh, and obviously, there's no place for riots uh, and all of this kind of thing. I mean, that's just wrong uh, on its face. But most of those people, I suspect, were just good people, innocent people. They're Trump supporters. They're wandering around. And when you see the video, Greg Kelly from Newsmax shows it, of cops waving them in. Oh, Greg has done a great job covering this. Yes, he has. I do want to address two particular things. Yeah. Because um, the New York Post and the Wall Street Journal, concurrently with the January 6th hearings, <laughs> came out with these headlines. The New York Post said, Trump's silence on January 6th is damning. And the Wall Street Journal said, the president who stood still on January 6th, even as the riot raged at the Capitol, Trump wouldn't tell his supporters to stop. You wrote a scathing rebuttal. Tell us, at least in part, now you just did a little bit, yeah. but but how about that part? He was just, he did nothing. He just sat there and watched it from the, his well, I checked, know, dining room. I, I checked the time. Uh, there's a, there, you know, the, this was clock. The clock. He, he was in there around 1 o'clock or so, or a little after. But the Capitol was breached in, uh, at 2.13. And at 2.38, precisely 25 minutes later, Donald Trump was tweeting to be peaceful, to respect the Capitol Police, and all of this. Uh, Please support our Capitol Police and law enforcement. They are truly on the side of our country. 25 minutes after it was 25 preached. minutes after. No mention of that in the Wall Street Journal no. or the New York Post. Mm -hmm. And it's just this, you know, and I, I think there's a lot of inside, behind-the-scenes baseball going on with the Murdochs. Oh, and, I do, too. And, uh, well, we have to say, because people don't know that both of these papers are owned by the Murdochs, who own Fox. Right. Fox Corporation, right. who now hates Trump and won't even let him hardly be heard on their network yeah so i i don't know what what, what the story is but after i wrote that <laughs> it was posted you know the american spectator posts their new pieces around six in the morning or something like that so i'm sitting at my desk and i was actually on a zoom call with the editorial board of our local paper pen live and and the harrisburg patriot news and i see out of the corner of my eye that something is flashed on my phone and I look over, and it's from Trump's office. And he had put out a statement that began, Thank you, Jeffrey Lord. <laughs> well, heavens, it's just, it is just, uh, even if you hated him, you'd have to say, 
this just doesn't make sense. This is so one-sided. This is right. so vitriolic and over the top. But like when you have plays in Central Park where you know he's the character and they're stabbing him as right. though he's Caesar, it's just surely it's something. Out of control. It's out of control. It's indecent. Uh, I, and I just, I, you know, and, and you played a bit of that uh, inaugural speech and yeah. all this. Yeah. That was dead on. And yeah. and this is what's going on out there. I, we published a, a long article in 2010 by a guy. He's now uh, sadly deceased in a car crash, but he was the uh, professor emeritus at Boston University, Angelo Codbia. Yes, yes, I've interviewed Angelo. And his book oh. was The Ruling Class and, and How They Corrupted America and What We Can Do About mm -hmm. It, I think, something like that. And he talks about how America has evolved into two classes, the ruling class, and he says from, from Atlanta to Seattle, they all think the same, they all yeah. have the same set of, uh, you know, uh, heroes and, and principles and all of this kind of thing, and they all have disdain for the majority of people in the country that he called the country class. Yes. And what you are seeing with Trump is he, Turned out to be five years later the unlikely hero <laughs> of the country class. Of the country class. I know, and it's true. Solidly, thoroughly, not occasionally, but sold out. Loved love the truckers, loved the manufacturing, loved to go out in the. My husband always says it's because he dealt with construction, and he was. You can yes. imagine how he was with construction workers. He was. They were men's men, and he was a man's man, and he related to them. Well, the tale, as I understand it, is that his dad would take him with him when he was a kid to the construction sites. And that began this thing of talking to yeah. the hard hats, and he really connects with them. I could talk to you for such a long time, <laughs> but I've got to, we need to, right. I need to let you go. But uh, let me ask you this. He's talking about running. Do you think he's going to, and do yes. you think he should? Yes. Yes to both. And uh, I would uh, remind everybody that uh, before he was president, he wrote a book that the title, I think, is Never Give Up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He ain't giving up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's a good ending. Jeffrey Lloyd, we thank you so much. You bet. It was just great. We'll put your article, by the way, your rebuttal, okay. to the New York Post and Washington, Washington, Wall Street Journal on our, our getter. That's what we're using these days, getters. Okay. All right. Thank you, great. sir. All thank right. You. So thank much you. to meet you. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.